0: Reading from the New Testament book of First Peter. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them. That they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you were just reading through your. Bible and only read these three verses, you would have a lot of questions. And so we didn't just jump into this section, but what we're doing is starting at the beginning of the book of 1 Peter, which is toward the end of your Bible. It's written by the Apostle Peter, and it's one letter that's written um, to this group of Christians that are spread all over what is modern-day Turkey. And this is the section that we've chosen tonight as we've progressed through the first nine verses of in the past two weeks. And so what we're talking about tonight specifically is what Peter is focusing on in these three verses, and what he's talking about here is salvation. Tonight we're talking about, I'm not over it. You know, there are some things in life that we should really get over, right? There are some things like losing a game on the basketball court. We should get over that. Hashtag, I'm over it, right? There are some things like losing our sunglasses, when we only paid $3 for them in Chinatown. It's okay. It's fine. Get over it. You lost it. Having someone break up with us, that might take a little longer, but eventually we should get over it and realize that God has someone better for us. Being passed over for a promotion at work, that stings a little more maybe, but we should get over it realizing that God has something better in store for us. Some things are even harder to get over, like this. Trying to figure out why your brother's 6'1 and you're only 5'9. Life isn't fair, and I don't think I'm quite over that just yet. But there are many things in life that, that we shouldn't get over. Some things that should always captivate us. Some things that should always steal our affection. Like the beauty of a sunset the way it illuminates the sky the vastness of the ocean and just looking out upon it and realizing all the life that lives under what seems to be calm the beauty of the mountains the sheer size of redwood trees anybody ever seen redwood trees in california they're amazing huge the miracle of new life being born and seeing that first breath taken. But ultimately, there's one thing that stands above all of those things. One thing that we should always make sure that we never get over. Something that we should realize that if it's not captivating our hearts, something is seriously flawed within us and we should address it quickly. And that one thing is the salvation that Christ has won for us. If that doesn't steal our attention, if we're blase about it, if we're passive about what he has done for us, then we have some heart-mending, heart-fixing to do tonight. Tonight, I want to encourage you to not be over it, to be able to say, Lord, what you have done, I am not over it, and I'll give us three becauses, three reasons that we're not over it, and we'll start with number one. If you have a sermon outline inside your Worship folder, I encourage you to follow along. It's a good way to make sure uh, you can take home what you hear tonight. The reason, number one, I'm not over it is because the prophets, number one, couldn't witness it. The prophets couldn't witness it. What this means is uh, Peter was was writing here, and he's talking about all of the people that were in the Old Testament that lived before Christ— and they prophesied of the coming Messiah that one day that he would come. All of them died without ever seeing the Messiah. They couldn't witness it. They couldn't see it. Many prophets anticipated, lived their whole lives anticipating the Messiah. Yet they couldn't witness it. Look with me in verses uh, 10 and following of First Peter. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says, as to this salvation, and salvation is what we're talking about tonight, which is what we should not be over. And so he's specifically talking about this, and we'll cover more about what this salvation is at the end of the sermon. But he's talking about this, as to this salvation that you have, church, that you are partakers of, that you are in, as, of this, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come, they prophesied the, the grace that would come to you they made careful searches and inquiries. Now, those that, that right there is talking about, they were carefully looking for something. They were looking for something as if their life depended upon it. For example, maybe you couldn't find your phone before you left the house today. Frantically, many of us need those phones, so we look and we look for them, but even at a much cosmically greater scale. They had been given the word of God that they were to be looking for this coming Messiah. And their entire existence was, was leading them towards finding and being the one pointing people to the Messiah. So they were anticipating him. They were searching for him. I don't know about you, but when I found Christ, it wasn't this lifelong search where I went out looking for him. But I was a, a younger boy who was, uh, had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church Every Sunday. And so, finally, one day, it, it, it hit me of the salvation that Christ had for me, and I responded to that. But I didn't have this long searching. It was very much so that he found me. But for these prophets, they were looking and searching, and they wanted this more than anything, and they never got to see it happen for themselves. They had careful searches and careful inquiries. Careful goes with both of those words there, careful searches, careful inquiries, and they were seeking, in the next verse, they were seeking to know what person or what time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. They were, they were like, okay, this is the word that God has directly given to us. This is what we're pointing people towards. Now, where can I connect the dots? Where can I see God at work here? When is this going to happen, and through whom will it happen? And in verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And I'll stop there. It was revealed to them that what they were doing was not for themselves, but it was for you. This was hundreds of years later when Peter wrote this. Hundreds of years. So it wasn't even for their direct children. It wasn't leaving a legacy for their children, and their grandchildren, but it was hundreds of years of doing something for people that would come much later. One of the prophets that Peter is going to reference later in this letter is Isaiah. And he is one of the ones who prophesied in uh, the coming of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53, we see this. Now, Isaiah chapter 53 was written 700 years before the crucifixion of Christ. Did you hear that? 700 years. And crucifixion had not even been uh, a... uh, a form of punishment. It wasn't even invented at that point, all right? So this is going to point to that. Here we go. In in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, it says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins, our transgressions. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, you've probably heard it more, by his wounds, by his wounds, by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So there's this epic pointing the people that there's this Messiah coming who's going to be the one that's going to be crushed and take away the sins of the world. And it's all going to fall on him. Every sin that you have done fell upon Christ as he took your penalty for you. That's an amazing salvation. Everything that you did prior to today has been covered by the blood of Christ. Everything from here out, you're on your own. I'm kidding. Okay, Some of you look scared when I said that. I'm just kidding. Every sin that we have done and the ones that we will even do God's covering it for us through the blood of Christ. What an amazing salvation. Isaiah was was writing this down and he was saying, who, Lord, who is this going to be? And and when is this going to be? And how long is this going to take before this happens? He lived the life of anticipating and he never witnessed the Messiah. Many people lived to prophesy the coming of the Messiah and they never witnessed it. It wasn't just him. They yearned to see it. It wasn't something boring for them, but they wanted this more than anything. But their faith was to help others. Their faith was to help you and to help me. And the same thing goes for us, too. One way we can apply this to our lives is to realize that, that our faith, yes, it is for us. It is very important for you to respond to the gospel, it is necessary for you to understand this is what God has done for you. Now what are you going to do about that? Will you believe it or will you reject it? That's important. Yes, the gospel is for you, but your faith is also for others. Your faith is for the people that will come after you, whether you have children or not. The people that you're around, your neighbors, the people you work with, they need to see your faith that is unshakable. They need your faith to draw them to faith in Christ. It also helps us when we understand that our faith is used to help others. We just came back from a mission trip. And uh, I am excited because later in the service, uh, one of the men on our mission trip is going to share some highlights with what we did. But one of the cool things about serving alongside other Christians is that you get to go some, on a mission trip as you go somewhere where you're not used to and you spend a lot more time typically praying together and living together and riding in Jeeps together and getting bitten by bugs together and, and uh, tearing things down together, getting scratched and all those things. But you also, if you'll understand, um, you, you'll get some inside jokes that you'll be able to share for the rest of your lives, okay? Some moments. For example, I'm gonna read a sentence in the eight people that went on the trip. You will enjoy this. The rest of you will not have a clue what i'm talking about. You ready? Okay, here i go. Here's my sentence. If you can't configure a euphemism including a sledgehammer, fructose, nosiums, mesiums and 1.2 eggs, and option 3 won't work, you can rest assured it's Jim's fault. <laughs> right? That was good. We had some things that, that went on throughout the week and, and we just laughed and we laughed and, and we served people and we had a wonderful time together. But we encouraged, I think everyone on that trip was encouraged by probably everyone on that trip. That we benefited from being there with each other and our, our faith encouraged one another. Our, our presence encouraged one another. And I encourage you that as, as we continue through the years of, of going on mission trips like this to find one that you can go on and, and so that you can experience the opportunity to serve alongside your brothers and sisters and get to know them in ways that, uh, that will surprise you in great ways as well. But it's not just even the, the people you go on a mission trip with, but also, this is harder, your enemies need to see your faith as well the people that speak out against you, the people that are, that are opposing you in the workplace and at school or wherever it is, they need to see your faith. They need to see your faith and see you go through what you're going through so one day they will be pointed to the fact that they too can glorify God. So the first reason I'm not over it is the prophets wanted this so bad and they could never witness it. The second one is this. I'm not over it because the angels couldn't possess it. The angels couldn't possess it. So angels and humans function differently. And there is a different uh, uh, eternity. There's a different uh, a role that God has for, for both of those uh, people, or angels and, and for humans. And so I'll just read the text, and then we'll talk more about that in a second. So verse 12 is where we see this. It says, It was revealed to them, again talking about the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you they were serving in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. And then it says, things into which angels long to look. And so this is saying, this longing that they have is this deep desire they have to to look upon what's happening. So it's, it's not saying that they want to do this, but they can't do it. It's not saying they want to, but it's off limits. What it means is they want to because, in a sense, angels are outsiders. Angels are outside of this redemptive rescue that God is doing through the gospel. They don't have the drama of sin and forgiveness since they never sinned. And they love to watch the great work of God's salvation unfold in history and in the lives of the saints. They love to see people respond to the gospel. They rejoice. In fact, when a sinner turns to Christ and and is born again, the angels in heaven rejoice with a loud thunder. They love to see it. They're some of our biggest fans. Peter's point is this. He says, if angels, if angels get excited about our salvation, how much more should we get excited about it? If they're stoked about this, how much more should we be? If angels love to look at the work of God in saving sinners like you and me, how much more should we, who are the very beneficiaries of that salvation, we're not just onlookers, how much more should we love to look into it and be thankful for it and say to the Lord, just like Peter did, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The angels Long, like the prophets long to see the Messiah, the angels long to see people respond to the good news of Christ to be born again, and if they 're that excited about it and they can 't possess it, but they 're able to just see it as an observer it 's like me going to a professional sports um, uh, event name any I was trying to think of a specific sport, but just just name one i 'm not going pro in any of them, and so it 's like me going there and loving to On look and see someone win the Super Bowl. That's great. I'm never gonna be out there winning it, but I still find joy in it. And so we are the Super Bowl winners. We get to win, 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 no matter what. Got Jesus on our mind, we can never get enough. And then when we sing everybody's hands goes up. And they stay there. And they stay there. No? Okay. All right. So I should stop now. The angels can't possess the salvation and know it the way we do. But they still long to see it. And so the second reason I'm not over it is because I now know that the angels long and desire to see what I have. And the third one is this. The reason I'm not over it is because I can't comprehend it. I can't comprehend it. I'm not saying that we're uneducated, unlearned, or inept in understanding this. What I am saying is that there is a height, a depth, a width, and a breadth of salvation that is above our capability to fully know. We can spend the rest of our lives discovering the depths and the beauty of God's love for us. You will not learn all of it. And when you think you learned it all, you're going to break through to another level of it, and you're going to go through this discovery all over again like, whoa, I just thought I knew what was going on here, but it's so much greater than I ever thought. It is a privilege to explore this salvation for the rest of our lives with the assurance that we're never going to get bored. In fact, the only way that I believe you'll ever get bored with your salvation is if you choose to. If you choose to be complacent and blasé and bored with it, then you'll have exactly that. But if you are pursuing it, if you are searching the depths of God's love for you, you will never get bored with it. Going back to the, the beginning of this letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3... And following, we're going to finish with with this part of the sermon tonight and unpack a little bit of what this gospel is. Why is this gospel so amazing? Why is it something that we should not ever get over? And so we'll look in verse 3 and go from there. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy... So, what we need to understand from the very beginning is the only reason you and I are loved by God. The only reason we're accepted by Him. The only reason He has made a move toward us is because in His goodness, He has chosen to give us this great mercy. He doesn't owe us anything, but through Christ, He gives us everything. He doesn't owe us anything, but through Christ he gives us everything. And according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again, awakened, reborn, born of the Spirit to a living hope. Not a hope that's in the past or a hope that's in the future, but it's a hope that's living right now through something specific, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christianity is built around the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He keeps going, verse four. To obtain an inheritance, fantastic. I want to hear more about this inheritance because my mom and dad have already told me that we're not going to get much, okay? So let's dial in here. Obtain an inheritance, all right, that is imperishable, That means it will never die. This inheritance, and it is undefiled, that means it is pure and perfect. It will not fade away like your favorite T-shirt after the third or fourth wash. It doesn't fade. It is reserved in heaven for you. You have a reservation in heaven for you for an inheritance that will never go away. When you show up, it's going to be there for you. And he keeps going. Verse 5 says, who are protected. We're protected. Not by bodyguards. Not by a a Subaru Forester, which apparently is the number one safety vehicle out there now, according to a commercial I saw. Certainly they're not just trying to sell me a car. You are protected by the power of God. God. How can we ever get over that? We're protected by the power of God. How? Through faith. Through trusting in Him, through believing in Him, through faith for a salvation, a rescuing, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. I underline greatly rejoice there because sometimes I, re- I don't greatly rejoice in my salvation. And I feel like some of you need to hear that too. That we need to dial it up another notch and get excited about what God has done for us. That we were dead and now we're alive. How can we ever get over that? In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Last week, Pastor David talked about suffering and as a Christian and how we suffer, and, and that sermon will hopefully be uploaded this week. And so you can listen to that, but, but this power of God, this protection of God doesn't remove us from suffering in this world. But in the midst of that suffering, we can still rejoice greatly In the midst of that suffering, we can still know the power and the protection of God. Knowing that for a little while, even if it's the entirety of our lives, even if we suffer for all 100 years of our lives, it's just a little while compared to eternity. Now, knowing that, I feel like I should maybe have less pity parties for myself. Distressed by various trials, and verse seven keeps going, and that happens so that the proof of your faith, when you go through trials and you stick to Jesus, you're proving your faith. When you stick close to him, when you don't run away, you're proving your faith. You're proving your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Gold is probably the most valuable thing in our our world today. It's still a precious metal. Most current currencies are built upon it And it's valuable. And he's saying, more valuable than all the gold in the world. Because gold is perishable. And what you have, the salvation, is imperishable. Even though the gold was tested by fire, may be found to result, even though tested by fire, talking about the gold, you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, now this is cool too, okay? He was writing to people in Pontus and Asia and other places that make up modern day Turkey, these five uh, places. He was writing to them and it was close to the time. He was still alive. He was, it was close in that time frame where Jesus' eyewitnesses were alive, okay? He was writing to people who had never seen him as an eyewitness. They never eyewitnessed Christ. Yet their faith was huge. You and I are like them in that regard. We have not seen him face to face. We didn't witness the physical resurrection of Christ. And so this is something for us as well. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice. Again, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. And full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome or the result of your faith. The goal of your faith. And that goal is what? The salvation of your souls. And the next verse is where we picked up and he says. As to this salvation. Don't get over it. This is the salvation that he's talking about. What a rich Great thing God has done for us, and so many times we can wake up in the morning just groggy and like, I don't want to face the day, I don't want to do this, and I guess I'll read for a second or or say a prayer, or maybe I'll just check Facebook. We're just not even thinking about God, He's not even on our radar, and He's done this wonderful thing for us that has secured an inheritance for us, it's given us forgiveness, and He's done it all because He loves us and He has this great mercy that he's pouring out on us. So the only way for us to get over this salvation, the only way you can get over this, is either to ignore it, to suppress it, or to just flat out reject it. You can ignore it, you can suppress it, or you can just flat out reject it. But if you understand, if you get what God has done for you, with conviction, with the conviction of an eternal hashtag, you will say, I'm not over it. Hashtag, I'm not over it. When you understand what you have been saved from, that God has saved me from eternal condemnation, eternal death, separated from him forever, and when I understand that he has saved me for an eternal relationship with Jesus, that I will know him greatly forever, forever, as the shepherd of my soul. When I realize that He's taken me from death and misery to life and joy abundantly, how can I ever get over that? We aren't just unfilled without Jesus. We're not just unfulfilled without Jesus. But without Christ, we are dead. With Christ, we are alive. This salvation was paid for by the work and the faithfulness of Jesus. He did the work for us. He earned the salvation. He earned the grace. And now through his earning, he is offering it freely to everyone who will call on him as Lord. And so today I encourage you to tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm not over it. And maybe today you're like, you know what? I kind of thought I was over it. It wasn't that big a deal. But today, God, I just want to recommit to you that what you have done for me is worthy of my full attention. And I'm not over it. And I'm not saying that you need to make sure that you live every day of your life, every moment of your life, proving your love to God. That's not what this is saying. What I'm saying is that for the rest of your life, do your best to remember that God has proved his love for you. By sending Jesus to the cross, he owed you nothing. He owed me nothing. But he gave us everything through Jesus. Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, you're wonderful. You're more than wonderful, and I'm not over what you've done for me. The good news is this. Even though all of us at some point have been distracted from the reason why we're here, we get distracted. The good news is Jesus never lost his focus. Even though we sometimes see the gift of salvation And it loses its luster in our lives. And our love for God has ebbed and flowed in our lives. The good news is the Lord has never wavered in his love for us. It's remained constant. The good news for us is even though when we were unfaithful, God has remained faithful. And I want to tell you, one-on-one, God is not over you. He's pursuing you. He knows everything about you. He wants to know you in deeper, greater ways. He wants to be your protector, your provider, everything. He's not over you. So let's not get over him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to praise the name of Jesus in this moment. And simply rest in the fact that I am known by you because of what you have chosen to do for me. As everyone else here, I, I put myself in the same category that we acknowledge that we don't deserve your love, but at the same time, Lord, we just acknowledge in this moment that you have given it to us by your mercy. And I pray that you would give us a, a deep desire to know you more, to acknowledge you more, to exalt you more in our lives, and to live a life that is marked with being um, the kind of life that would always look to you and say, Jesus, what you've done for me is so great and so valuable that I'll never get over it. In Jesus' name, amen.